What's up, everyone? It's the Episode Ninja Podcast, where the guys and I do a deep dive into our favorite TV shows. We chat about legendary episodes, iconic characters, and hilariously classic quotes. It's like the late-night combo you have with your friends after too much beer and not enough tacos. So grab a cold one and get ready. It's the Episode Ninja Podcast. All right. So today we are talking about The Wire. And the big question that we're going to answer by the end of this, is it a great show or is it the greatest show that's ever been on TV? Um, sort of a deep question to kick it off, but what uh, what do you guys think of The Wire? I love The Wire. The Wire is one of my favorite TV shows of all time. I'm really happy that we're doing this just because this is such a... I don't even, like, it's hard to just classify it as just a TV show. Here's a good TV show, right? Um, Because I feel that it just represents so much more, you know, so many levels um, of its, you know, reflection on, you know, Baltimore's culture and just society and all the processes in general and things like that. Um, It's just, it's just a beast, you know, and I feel that. Because, you know, we're kind of casual guys. We're just kind of bullshitting about TV shows and things like that. So, you know, take what we say with a grain of salt and whatnot. Because I know that there's, you know, college courses that dedicate entire semesters to analyzing The Wire. And there's been like eight books written on on, on The Wire and things like that. Uh, you know, we're just going to do a casual deep dive on it. But, yeah, it's... um. It's it's one of my favorite shows. I, I I've watched it about three times. I think Steve, you watched it like five times. Yeah, that sounds accurate. Yeah, I I totally agree with everything you just said. I think it's definitely one of my favorite shows, uh, up there with the greatest shows ever made. You know, they just dive into not only Baltimore, but I feel like a lot of it is systemic issues that apply anywhere in America. Yeah, and I mean, that's true, and it's the response to the show, too. I mean, I believe it was the mayor at the time of Baltimore, like, asked them to stop being so accurate. Like, they were almost too accurate with how they were portraying Baltimore. In some cases, with, like, how the police work and how things that maybe shouldn't be out there, you know, in terms of, like, recording and stuff like that, recording people and stuff, that it was um, it was that accurate, and I think that's that's what makes it such a great show. I mean, not only is the writing and the cast so great, but, but the stories that you get out of this, you know, city, especially, you know, Baltimore is obviously in the news right now a lot with what's going on in uh, the white house. And it's just, it's, it's, it's still a time. It's just a timeless show. Like the only thing that I find is not timeless about it is the technology. Um, I mean, when we, when they start the show, they're using beepers and um, pay phones, but it's also cool because it started in 2002, but it's also cool for me as a viewer personally to watch the technology develop. So then they get into cell phones, and by the end of the show, they're starting to get Blackberries. You know, they have like the, the whatever the sidekick phones and stuff like that. So you get to kind of see the technology develop and how you know the police or you know, whoever is is kind of adapting to that. Yeah, and really, even with the technology changes, I feel like you could replace that piece of the plot and the show would go on exactly the same like like you could have kids taking photos on encrypted messaging apps to send messages to each other like they're doing in one of the seasons and it 
totally makes sense in the in the current technological ecosystem. Yeah, absolutely. It's just I just think it's cool to to actually watch it because I've noticed when I try to get people into the wire, it's sort of a tough show to explain because it's a cop show and people have their preconceived notions. And then on top of that, it's like it started in 2002. That's a long time ago. Like that, it, it people don't think the quality of TV is that good, but in this case, it I mean it really it really is. So did you guys get into the show right away? I'll I'll just be honest and say I heard about the show in probably 2007-ish, so it was either done or almost done at that point. I watched the first episode, and I thought it was the most boring show I had ever seen in my life. Um, it, and later you realize it's just there's so many characters to introduce and so many moving pieces to to get going that it has to start off slow. Yeah, I... Uh... I'm on the same boat as you, Steve. I think someone told me about it. Uh, my roommate and I decided to watch it. And we watched like the first two episodes. And we both were like, this is just fucking dumb. And then like, I think I just had nothing else to watch. And I just pushed myself through like the first season. And then we were both hooked. And we're like, this is really, really good. Like, because... The thing about a really good show is they do a great job of character development. And character development just takes a while to build up if you do it right. And there's a lot of, you know, subtleties and nuances between the dialogues and shots and music and all these things involved to build that those characters up. And it takes a while. Um, and I think that, you know, uh, this is just one of those shows that took a while. And a lot of other good dramas have character build up that takes a while too but because there wasn't any sort of like crazy action going on like sopranos or game of thrones they take a while to build up characters as well but they can throw in someone getting you know like a like a dragon or fucking white walker where they can throw in you know some gangster shit or some comedy this was a little bit more darker a little bit more dramatic so it just took a little bit longer but i think the payoff is is awesome um so yeah i i actually got into the wire um i had never really even heard of it until i and you might call bullshit on this but until the office um the episode where michael and dwight go out with ryan and they bring him back for the night and they put him to sleep he you know he mentions that he thinks his friend has a drug problem and michael pipes up with some advice saying that he should stick a wire on him and then get him to flip and then go after the dealer. And then he turns to the, to the camera and he's like, I've been watching the wire recently. I don't understand a word of it. And that was like my first, like, Oh, I've, I've never heard of that show. So I kind of looked it up. And then a couple of years later, I didn't, I didn't really give it a chance. Um, and then a couple of years later, I was listening to the Dan Patrick show and he was like, he had just finished it. And he's like, I wish I could go back in time to a point where I had never seen the wire. So I can rewatch it again. He's like, that's how good it was. I'm like, okay, if it's that good, and he has pretty good opinions when it comes to TV, then I'm going to give it a chance. And I agree with you guys where it, the first episode was was not like, oh, my God, this is a winner. It definitely took a little bit, but it was one of those ones where I'm so glad I stuck with it. It's like. Yeah, it takes a, it takes like four or five episodes. It takes It takes a little bit of time to get there. But I just feel like I will come across a lot of people and they'll talk about you know hey what's your favorite shows and you know i'll mention the wire and they'll be yeah never heard of it but then you meet someone 
that like they love the wire and there's that instant connection because you know that person knows what the fuck is up and and i can i can 100 percent attest to this i was at a concert i was probably 30 yards away from somebody this the next person that was by me was 30 yards away or 30 feet away i should say and I was talking to my friend's girlfriend. I'm like, you guys need to watch The Wire. She's like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. This guy turned around. He heard the word The Wire. He just pointed at me. And he's like, The Wire? I'm like, yep. And he's like, best show ever. And she's like, all right, I guess we're going to watch it. Like, literally, someone just heard the term The Wire. And it was like, boom, got to get it. And and he he backed me up on that. So, um, I yeah, it's uh, it's also it's got kind of a cult following, I would say, for sure. In a good way. Yeah, I feel I feel like it is one of those really, really, really good shows that missed the, you know, TV uh, peak. You know, I always talk about, you know, how TV kind of exploded with all the streaming services and people rewatching all this stuff. And, you know, they kind of dismissed it, you know, and I know that uh, obviously you can just go and go on HBO and stream it now, but because it's been off the air for so long and things like that. And it's, you know, a uh, 10 year old show, 15 year old show, um, you know, the following's not there and you have kind of the slow, you know, build up. One thing uh, while I was doing research for the episode and Dan, you kind of touched on it. Authenticity of this show and the realism of this show. Um, I think that's kind of what makes this show so amazing is it's probably more authentic than like almost any show I could think of other than, you know, like documentaries and things like that. But I think Dexter was pretty realistic, but that's just me. No, no, no. Like, hold on. So let me just, let me just break some stuff. Let me just break some stuff down. So, and you guys, you know, as fans might be aware of this, but I, this was new stuff to me this week. So David Simon, who is, you know, the showrunner, the creator, um, he was a Baltimore news reporter for years, right? So this is, you know, they say, write what you know. This is, you know, he was a reporter reporting on the crime and the corruption and things like that. He wrote some books on, uh, I think it was called like Homicide in the Street or something like that. Um, so he had experience writing, you know, real stuff like this. His co-writer, Ed Burns, was a cop and a teacher. And, you know, he helped write one of uh, Simon's books with them and they kind of created the, the show together and throughout the whole show they were very specific about being authentic so for example like you have all the row houses in Amsterdam and the row houses where uh, Snoop and Chris are putting bodies like those are at the actual row houses it wasn't you know they went in they took out the plywood and they cleaned them up and they shot there. It wasn't like, hey, let's do some outside shots and then let's just go back uh, to the studio and recreate it. Like they were shooting there when they were doing a corner scene and they were saying, oh, he's on, you know, fourth and Jackson. Like that was a real corner. Like all those shots are real Baltimore. Almost every single shot is done in Baltimore. And then even things with like, you know, the music all of the extras, things like that. And, you know, when we kind of talk about characters, you know, there's a lot of like Baltimore that kind of just runs through the characters, natives, things like that we'll talk about. But like this show is just Baltimore. Except through for through. the actors who are mostly British, <laughs> ironically. <laughs> yeah. The main um, actors, yes. It's but, just funny because um, they all nail it. I mean, I think I, I'm not too familiar with Baltimore accent, but I think uh, McNulty 
I mean, he's British as they come. It's just so bizarre to hear him and like Idris Elba do interviews because they just sound so different than. Yeah, I guess uh, Idris Elba's agent told him not to tell them that he was British when he was uh, being cast for this show. And like towards the end of the casting process, he's like, I got to tell you guys I'm British. Uh, and they're like, oh, yeah, we figured we figured that out. That's why um, I didn't know that. Yeah. So so not to go on a tangent, but one of my favorite scenes in the series is uh, McNulty is going to go undercover or something like that. And I don't know how it comes up, but they're like, oh, yeah, do an accent. And he's like, I'll do a British accent. And he's just like, oh, right, pip, pip, cheerio. And, like, you know, obviously this is a shit-ass British accent. But, like, the fact that he's British and was doing a shitty accent as McNulty was just fucking hilarious. And if you knew that he's British, it's even funnier, I think. See, I didn't at the time. Whatever. It was like I watched the first time I watched it because I know exactly what you're talking about. And that scene is incredible where he... You know, bangs the stripper or bangs the prostitutes because you know whoop, there was two of them. Um, it's it was it did, didn't hit me at the time, but after I saw the interview, I'm like, oh, okay, that's pretty funny because I probably watched it. You mentioned Steve, you probably watched it five times. I probably watched it like four or five times. Um, most recently, I finished it like a month or two ago, so I'm pretty recent on it. But um, it's one of the ones like I would I would go back and watch it again right now. Like there's just something I knew I always pick up and I always become. I always find myself appreciating different seasons or different moments every time I rewatch it. Like the, I know we're going to get into seasons here in a little bit, but the season where Presbaluski is like the teacher, I didn't really like that the first time around. I, upon rewatching it, I really became, you know, he became like a much better character to me, and it it was something that it changed over time the more I watched it, which doesn't happen with a lot of shows. Yeah, I just, there's so many moments and scenes that you just forget about, right? Like, when you were just saying, like, oh, the two strippers, like, I just remembered, like, him going undercover on the bed, and they're, like, grabbing him, and he's just like, oh, oh, no, no. And like, then he writes it. <laughs> barely, barely fighting them off. And then he writes it all off. in the report. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, McNutty's pretty, pretty incredible character, but... Who would you guys say is probably your favorite character if you were I think we said we were gonna we were gonna kinda break this down into street people or you know, street characters. Street Street people. people. Street characters, yeah. (laughs) Characters who, you know, play or were in the game and then um, you know, cops. You know what though? It's it's all a game though. Nah, some people are in the game, game. some people aren't in the game. Omar Omar no, said, no, no, no. Like, and we'll kind of we'll talk Omar about said. we'll talk about the themes of we'll talk about the themes of the show. But if you think about it, like it's all a game. Every every level of it is 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 a game, really. Um, and that's what makes this show great. But to start off with, my favorite character, as well as Barack Obama. And did we mention that this is Barack Obama's favorite show? I did not know that. We didn't, but you could. It's Bar- Yeah, it's Barack Obama's favorite show. And he and while he was president, he invited um, David Simon to the White House to talk about the show because he loved it so much. Like, how cool is that? Pretty fucking cool. Um, but Barack Obama and my favorite character as well is Omar. Why? Why? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, why do you? Why is he your favorite character? If, if I have to explain it, 
Um, you, you probably I mean, should. Just... I mean, we were doing a podcast. <laughs> okay. I'm just saying it's obvious that he's the best character. Um, because he's sort of he's sort of rogue, right? He's he's independent. He's not he's not with the dealers. He's not a cop. He's just looking out for himself. He's a fucking badass. Like he's really hard to kill. Like yes, he does die. Um, and we'll talk about how he dies. Uh, but um, you know he, he's walking around with this sawed-off shotgun. He's like a Robin Hood. He's you know he's stealing from the rich. He's giving to the poor. Now, granted the rich he steals from are drug dealers and you know the poor that he gives to is he's giving some crack to some people around the neighborhood but i just love his character and the fact that they made him gay and he kind of just owns that it's just it's just i don't know it's just so appealing to me um i knew that his time was coming towards the end of the show and literally season five i'm just starting it like oh my like i would get nervous going into every episode because i knew he was going to get killed and we were coming you know i don't know mid i don't know what episode it was that he he actually got shot by the kid but i was just like so nervous like that he was gonna die and then he did and i just was very sad so do you guys think people like omar exist in real life I exactly, so. they do, because because Omar's character was based off of real people. Yeah, that's why I asked that. But yeah, <laughs> who's your favorite character, Steve? I don't know if I can pick a overall favorite. My favorite police character, I think, is Bunk. God damn you! <laughs> but uh, to be fair, Bunk without McNulty is not Bunk. Um, so really, a big part of his character is their relationship and how they play off of each other. But he's just well. My favorite quote from Bunk comes from not with McNulty. He's uh, oh, God damn it! It's I'm looking at it right now. Oh, he's sitting around with Freeman at the bar, and they're talking about like their qualities, or whatever. And and he just comes out with Lester. I'm a, just a humble motherfucker with a big ass dick. This is an incredible line. And then he's later in their comment, he's like, well, that's, you know, none of that's really true. He's like, you're right. I'm not that humble. (laughs) Like, Bug is just so smooth. Did you guys, um, speaking of uh, Bunk and McNulty's relationship, did you guys know that they did on the DVD for season five, they did a couple clips that were prequels to The Wire? Oh, I didn't know either until earlier. So there's three prequels. They did one where it was uh, Proposition Joe as like a kid, right? Like in the 60s, like hustling people and stuff. That was kind of stupid because he just kept saying Proposition over and over again. Um, then they did one where Omar was young and he and they were like robbing somebody. Um, and that kind of showed like they robbed some dude like who was just like getting off of work and Omar like was you know like a ten year old and he wound up giving the money back and that was kind of showing how he didn't want to rob from hardworking people he wanted to only rob from the drug dealers people that weren't in the game exactly and so uh, what, what I didn't really like that short because he already had a scar at like age ten so that seemed kind of weird but the the best one of the three was the first time that Bunk and McNulty met and so basically he becomes a detective and. Uh, Bunk is just like, how the fuck did you get on this squad? And McNulty's talking about how some other detective fucked up some shit and he just solved it on his own. 
so they gave him a job, and, like, Bunk is just kind of, like, giving him shit and running him down, like, who, who do you think you are, motherfucker, coming up here? And then McNulty just takes out, like, a fifth of Jameson, and he starts drinking it, and Bunk, like, looks at him, like, like, what, what, you just gonna drink on the job? And he's like, oh, I'm sorry, I thought you six floor boys could hang. And he just continues to drink, and then, like, the next shot, you see, like, so they were working the night shift, the next shot, you see the people coming in in the morning, and there's two, like, empty bottles of Jameson, like, full bottles of Jameson on a desk, and Bunk and McNulty are just drunk off their asses, and, like, that was, like, the beginning of their friendship, and it was just, it was great. I've never seen that up to check that out. Um, my favorite character, in case anyone was wondering, um, is Bubbles. Interesting. I think his arc is one of the best. I mean, he hits some low lows, but he's always, I like his, you know, he's sort of the opposite of Omar in that, like, you know, he rides with the police. He doesn't really care who he rips off as long as he can get his fix. And then by the end of the show, you know, he pretty much turns it around. He repairs relationship with his sister. I like, you know, I just, I really enjoyed his, how his story ended. And I think that's probably got a big part of And And every time he was on, I always thought he was, fucking funny i liked how him and griggs interacted they had a really cool relationship i liked how him and mcnutty interacted i just thought that he was a really good character yeah i uh i have him down as one of my favorite characters as well and he just did an amazing job acting as well yep no doubt about that the uh what's his what's his name andre royo there's just so many great actors in the show yeah it's it's pretty crazy to see the just seeing, you know, these guys showing up in every show ever. Like it's it's fun to to still see them in new shows. Yeah, I uh, I was reading too before this that uh, Sanja Sam, who plays Kima Griggs, uh, she like was really hesitant about taking the role because she had bad interactions with like the police in her real life, and she didn't want to like portray one. But she was like talked into it, and or you know she was shown the character, and it was you know a pretty deep character that that you know had some difficulties so she she went with it and pretty good choice what are some of the things um i mean there's so many to choose from you know with uh idris elba and you know michael b jordan what are some of the things that these characters have done post you know the wire that you guys are fans of someone that i've seen show up a lot is the actor who plays daniels um He's in right now, just the most recent thing I've seen him in is a show called Bosch on Amazon, which is really good. Um, actually, the the guy who plays Marlo Stanfield is one of the main characters in that show as well. Yeah, I, I, I immediately think of, for whatever reason, I mean, Idris Elba, I always think of The Office, you know, him playing Charles. But you look at Isaiah Whitelock Jr., who played Clay Davis, he's like in everything. But I really liked him in Cedar Rapids. Like the, he even references the wire in that movie. You know, he's he becomes he's this doofy guy and he becomes like this badass in the moment and then he's the back in the car. He's like, Yeah, I just watched a couple episodes of The Wire recently and decide I really like that Omar character or whatever. So I like how he actually references it. And he just seems to be in everything. He's in Veep, you know, he's he's just he's one of those guys that I see almost all the time as one of the secondary or tertiary characters, I feel like. Same thing with Bunk. Bunk is in yeah. fucking everything. Bunk is in uh, uh, 
Suits. He's in uh, what is the one with uh, Krasinski? The Jeff Office. Ryan. That's not what I was thinking of, but yes, he is in The Office. Um, but yeah, he's in just fucking tons of shit. And he was in, um, didn't they do, what was the uh, HBO show? Was it Tremel or uh, Treme? Uh, Treme, right? The New Orleans one? Yeah, that's. Because wasn't he like the main character? Yeah, that's also a David Simon show. Mm. Oh, speaking of other David Simon shows, have you guys watched um, The Deuce with, uh, what's... Uh, James Franco? Mag- James Franco, Maggie J. Maggie J. Hall. That is a great show. I mean, there's also, there's also a lot of, there's a lot of characters from The Wire that are in there. Um, but uh, it's also very, very accurate from what, you know... I've heard what uh, Michael Kenneth Williams, who played Omar, he was in uh, what was the Boardwalk Empire, right? Boardwalk really, Empire, Chalky, yeah. Chalky White. Yeah, he was really good in that. I watched like the first like three or four seasons of that, um, but he was really good from what I remember. And then uh, Dominic Lambardazzi, who plays Herc, the bald white guy. He seems to be one of those guys that kind of pops up and everything, too. I remember him being an entourage, and he's just one of those... He's sort of like Bunk in that regard, that he just kind of pops up and everything. That's one of the things about the show. It's like, these guys are in everything. Yep. Oh, and we haven't even mentioned Carcetti uh, uh, as Littlefinger. You know? So this guy goes on... He's You know, all these guys are just on huge, huge HBO shows. Game of Thrones. <laughs> he's got a little finger? <laughs> yes. He, you know, back back in the day, they didn't really have the same medical advancement, so he was born with a very, very little finger, and that was his nickname. Mm, okay, like little Kevin. Uh, always sunny. Um, so now that we kind of talked about characters, we usually kind of go into you know specific episodes that we like, but with the wire, um, kind of difficult to do that, being that every season is sort of different. So we're gonna kind of go through um, the seasons individually and kind of give our our takes and. Yeah, so basically, you know, and I think that if you if you watch uh, The Wire as a casual fan and you just sit down and, and binge it, right, and you kind of don't sit back or kind of learn why it was structured the, that way, you might be a little annoyed, right? Because season one is great and develops all these characters and they kind of flip it and they go in a different direction in season two then season threes, four, and five, right? And the idea that Simon had behind this is that every season represents um, a different type of institution in Baltimore. So season one focuses on the drug dealers and the cops, right? Season two focuses on um, the, you know, the workers, the union workers, kind of um, the... uh, you know, dirtiness behind that. And then you have season three, which brings in the, you know, um, political aspect and how the po- uh, politicians kind of focus on their layer of uh, Baltimore. And then season four, you're looking at things from the educational standpoint, the schools. And then season five is is journalism, the press. So he specifically broke every season down to have a specific theme or thesis and you know i'm sure like if you wrote a book on it it's going to go into it like how specifically the first scene of every season outlines the thesis 
for that uh, for that season, right? Um, but that's kind of how it's broken down, and a lot of the characters and themes are present throughout the entire series. But you know, each each uh, each season kind of has has its own purpose. Yeah, it's interesting to hear you explain it. With uh, I, I had never, I guess I didn't really read into the background of the show that those were. Yeah, it makes a lot more sense now. I mean, I personally, I remember when I watched it, I didn't really like the dock workers from season two either. I thought that was kind of a a down season, but in rewatching it, it 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 wasn't. I mean, they do do a great job of showing the everyday lives of these people in whatever situation they're in. Yeah, because really, what it is is they're trying to, you know, tell a story about. Uh, the you know, the status of Baltimore, how Baltimore got there, and I feel that every one of those institutions plays a role, right? The the drug dealers, the cops, um, you know, I think season two is important because there's a lot of themes about, you know, why are why are people doing shady shit? Because they because they talk about the steel mill, McNulty and that other cop are like, oh yeah, there's a steel mill. Yeah, my dad got laid off in seventy something, and you know, my, you know, so and so got laid off, right? So it was a, you know, it was a booming economy for these blue collar workers, but you know that kind of went away, and these guys needed to feed their family and you know do everything they can. You know, you've got what's his face, the um, uh, union leader. Um, you know, he's kind of got to go. Uh, uh, Sabatka, he has to go. Um, you know, kind of deal with these mob guys to kind of earn some extra cash and things like that. So you got politicians, they play a role in it. Obviously, the schools, like how do these people become Omar? How do these people become, you know, Stringer Bell and things like that? So I think, I actually think the the really interesting aspect is is kind of like the school system. And it's it's just, it's really well done. Yeah, for me, like this back to kind of season two, um, when you mentioned that, it it also kind of wraps up in the end too. This is one of the rare shows where I think they have a phenomenal ending of the show, and I feel like it's one of the ones that could pick up right where it left off if they wanted to pick it up today. But like season two, we see you know they're fighting for the docks. The reason Sabatka's doing all this you know shady shit with the mafia is to keep their jobs, is to keep the docks alive. And in the final episode, we see, you know, the mayor and, you know, the politics we saw the season before or that season, I should say, um, taking that and using it for now that's beachfront property or whatever it's going to be developed into. And they're, you know, they lose the the shipyards. It kind of comes full circle. Yeah. So to kind of break down, you know, season one, you know, we're kind of introduced to uh, a majority of the characters or introduced to. Um, uh, the Barksdales, Barksdale, Avon, D'Angelo, Stringer Bell, they're kind of like the you know, the leaders of these gangs, and they're selling drugs in um, you know, essentially the projects. And you've got McNulty and, and Bunk kind of going after, after these guys. And early on, you're seeing um, you know, McNulty address issues in the police department right like he's trying to do as what they say real police work right and he has to kind of bend the uh, judge's arm and things like that to get this task force put together right to 
get a wire on these guys to do real police work to actually put some people behind bars. Well, and it, and to that point too, the the police didn't even know in the beginning about you know the Barksdale gang and how they're basically running all of the towers. You know, they're running the projects and they were doing it so quietly that the police weren't even aware that they were doing it. So it was actually McNulty who kind of exposed them to get this going. And you're right. I mean, he he did have to do he had to do some shady shit. He had to kiss some ass. He had to leak some information. He had to step on some toes. But as is the case a lot in this show, he uh, McNulty gets what he wants. Yeah. And I feel that there's a lot of similarities between the two groups. Right. Because you're not dealing with just, hey, here's an organization of cops and some thugs, right? Like they were running, they were running the streets, their game, like, you know, like an organization. And what's funny about this is uh, you've got uh, the juxtaposition of the drug dealers who are supposed to be the bad guys, and you have the cops who are supposed to be the good guys. Now, the cops are bending the rules to try to catch the bad guys. And the bad guys are trying to stay out of trouble by following their rules to a T. And what I mean by that is, you know, they've got rules like, hey, don't ever talk in a payphone, have these burner phones, this is how you're dealing drugs, no one has like, you know, money on them, things like that. So they have a, they've got specific rules that they have to follow to to succeed and move forward. And these police are bending the rules to succeed and move forward. Yeah, and that's one of the things I think that is interesting about the show, too, is it shows the similarities between the police and the, the you know, the people on the streets. I mean, they're playing the same game, essentially. They're just playing different sides of it. And they show the, the hypocrisy within the police department, you know, on certain issues. And like you said, they, you know, it, it definitely happens later in the seasons more so, but they certainly break the rules to, to try to get some information. Yeah, this is, um, you know, you've got Bubbles as an informant, so they're trying to get information from Bubbles. Is this the, uh, season one was the season with Bubbles and the hats, right, when they were on the rooftop, and he kept putting hats on people to distinguish who was, okay. It was definitely beat up his boy. Yeah, that may have been, like, one of the first episodes, actually. Yeah, they, like, put his buddy in the hospital. And that's sort of his, like, launching for going after them. Um, But we're also introduced to Omar. Um, You can kind of see that he's sort of the thorn in the side of the Barksdale crew. Um, And you get to see the sort of respect that he gets. Like, that was one of the things that I loved. Omar's coming. Right. Just him whistling the farmer in the the Dale. Dale. Um, just him whistling that. I mean, the kids know, and they fucking bolt, and then he'll just stand at the bottom of the stick up or the, you know, the stash house, and they'll drop the bag out. He'll say thank you and and walk away. I mean, it's he's just such an incredible, incredible character. We never find out how he got a scar, right? No, no, I don't think they mentioned it. Um, the uh, I mean, what's interesting is like how smart some of these characters are, right? And they are intelligent, but they're just using their smarts in the situation that they're in. You know what I mean? Like, they don't have the opportunity, you know, that others have. So, you know, they're on the streets and, you know, 
kicked out of school, don't have parents, and you know they're just using what they've got to succeed. And I think Omar is a good example of that. I I agree, but I forgot about Bodie. Bodie is one of my favorite characters too. I completely forgot about him because um, we meet him when he's young. He's hanging out with uh, Wallace, who's Michael B. Jordan, and, and Poot, who we get to see their little gang develop, which is pretty pretty you know incredible through the show. And the big first step that they take at the end of that season or towards the end of the season is uh, is killing their boy Wallace because they think he's a snitch. Um. Do you guys remember watching that scene for the first time? Did you, did you guys? Yeah, I I just I just rewatched that because that was just a really powerful scene. You know, they were they were childhood friends. They didn't really know for sure whether or not Wallace even said anything. They're getting orders from you know up above, and they're kind of stuck. And that scene was just it was just sad. You've got Wallace pissing in his pants, and what was the other dude? The dude with the receding hairline was that? Yeah, poop? Poop. yeah. Okay. And it's just, I don't know. It was just, it was just sad. And and what you feel bad about it too is Wallace had the opportunity. I mean, he was out of town, you know, like they were like, just this, you know, you, he had to go back, but I don't think it was, he had to go back because he wanted to, to be on the streets. He wanted to see his friends, right? It wasn't like he wanted to sling drugs He's, you know, whatever, like a 13-year-old kid, and he misses his friends. And the second he shows up, they fucking shoot him dead because they think that he was a snitch. It's just awful. Kind of missed, too, or not didn't miss, but haven't talked about it yet, is when uh, Griggs gets shot in the car. That's a pretty pivotal moment. This, I just remember watching that where she's, you know, in the car and the, you know, the people... And the gang had enough sense to switch around street signs and get her confused as to where she was and, you know, where they were. I mean, obviously they didn't know she was a cop, but that also that, you know, not only was that a, you know, great scene, whether we knew she was going to live or die, but we also got the famous WeeBay gif out of it because that's, uh, <laughs> that's, uh, when they break the news that, uh, Shorty was a cop. <laughs> Yeah, there there are only a couple of TV episodes I distinctly remember being shocked after watching, and that's one of them, uh, the episode in Breaking Bad where Walt runs over the two dudes with his van and tells Jesse to run is one of them, and I don't know, maybe the Red Wedding in Game of Thrones is another one, but yeah, it's just such a feeling of despair like afterwards what just happened. They actually get uh, Avon, right, um, at the end of this. And um, they get him on whatever charge, and he's going to go away for a while. And uh, I believe uh, D'Angelo goes away too, right? They got both of them? Yes. Yeah. At the end? Okay. And what sucks about this is, okay, right, you think good for the cops. They, they, they got the drug dealers, drug dealers behind bars, but guess what? Now they're getting punished. You know, I forget how they get caught up on all this stuff, but, uh, you know, McNulty gets bounced to the boat unit or whatever. And, you know, this will lead it, you know, this will lead into, you know, season two. But it just kind of sucks. Like these guys are doing good police work. They got stuff done and they got punished for it. So that just goes to show you how fucked up the system is. Yeah. Um, I love that scene where they go in to arrest them. They bring the SWAT team. It's Daniels and and McNulty up front. They're about to 
Bart bursts the door in and McNulty just looks at him. He's like, you know, they're just sitting up there. We see him on camera. Like, we know what they're doing. So they just walk in the door and stand there and then they leave Stringer and he just looks at him. We'll see you around. <laughs> that was such a great scene. But he knew that he didn't get him for, for what he wanted to. I mean, McNulty is as good of a cop he can be sometimes. He he has high highs and, and low lows. And even getting those guys wasn't good enough. Like, that wasn't what he wanted. And then, um, and actually, too, De- didn't D'Angelo flip? D'Angelo was going to talk. Like, they had him. And then his mom and his mom got to him and basically told him, you, you stand up for this. You take this. And then, obviously, we know what happens to him in a couple, you know, the next season. But um, that part was really, really interesting, too, to see the the family dynamic of, you know, he'll take care of us. We'll be fine. You just got to do your 20 years, and and we'll see you. It's just wild that you would do that to a family member. Yeah, it's really amazing. And not just, um, not just uh, D'Angelo's mom. Uh, who was what Avon's sister, right? Um, you know, just how she was like, yeah, this is the game. This is how we make money is you guys are killing people and dealing drugs. But, um, uh, what's the other dude's kid? Uh, uh, Naaman's the kid with the long hair. You know who I'm talking about? Yeah, that's Weebae's son, Naaman. Okay. Yeah. So like Weebae's you know, Chalks, takes everything. Baby mama's basically like, "Hey, your your dad's in prison, so you got to go fucking go on the streets and earn money." And he just wants to like go to school and hang out with his friends. That's it's a fucking sad situation. Yeah, and we actually, to, to, yeah, to what you're saying, we actually see at the end of the season two, Weebay basically just takes like every charge for the entire gang. It's like, I already got life. Fuck it, I'll take that one too. Yeah, I did that one. Yeah, I did that one. Which sucks because like I loved, I loved. Weebay, and I didn't want him to go to jail. I kind of wanted him to stay out so I could see, you know, get all the antics he gets into. I think him and uh, Bodie, he and Bodie would have made a good team. So that's sort of season one. What about uh, what you did a pretty good synopsis on that one? What do you got for season two? Yeah, so season two is focusing on, um, you know, the dock workers, right? So it's, uh, you know, the. Um, blue collar guys that work at the port. Uh, you've got um, Frank Sabatka, who's the leader of the uh, union. And it kind of has McDonty being a, being a, uh, doing the, like the police boat, whatever the, those cop boats are called. Um you know, it focuses on these on these workers, and they're doing a bunch of like shady shit, right? They've got uh, a bunch of illegal shit coming in on these containers. They've got girls coming in. There's a murder, right? So they're they're bringing in a bunch of girls for prostitution or whatever, and they wind up getting killed. And and um, McNulty gets involved in that. And then you kind of have this um, another, you know, this episode or this season where they're doing the wire is because of um, Volchak gets into kind of this fight with Sabatka about who's going to get a uh, stained glass window in the church. And uh, it was like, who's going to bribe the church the most to go get this? And, you know, Sabatka won. And uh, Belichick, like, basically, like, pulls all these strings to go get people to investigate. 
um, just because he's pissed off about the window, not because he thinks they're really doing something shady and he wants justice. He's just pissed off at Sabatka and he wants, uh, you know, he kind of wants revenge. And then meanwhile, you've got Sabatka's uh, kid Ziggy and his nephew, who his name is, escapes me. Um, but uh, they're doing a bunch of shit because, you know, like I said, you've got... You know, the economy in Baltimore for these people is they don't have a lot of opportunity, right? So they're probably only making, you know, at that time, maybe like eight bucks an hour or 15 bucks an hour, who knows? And, you know, they're trying to make some extra cash with, you know, however they can. Stealing shit, Ziggy's, you know, stealing whole uh, trucks full of TVs or hubcaps or whatever. They're trying to get extra cash and then eventually they get involved with some of the some of the Greek mafia, right? I believe it's the Greek mafia. The The main guy's called the Greek, so I'm just going to make that assumption. Um, and then eventually Spotka gets, you know, in over his head and winds up sleeping with the fishes. Yeah, the cousin's name is Nick Spotka. Um, fuck Ziggy. Um, that dude fucking sucks. Ziggy was such a fucking He bitch. was the absolute worst character in the show. I mean, obviously, I think he's one of those people that's supposed to be that way. But my God. That that dude could not be more hateable if he tried. What were your thoughts on this uh, season, Steve? Uh, I mean, this is probably my least favorite se- season of the show. That being said, it's still so good. Like it's it's just the bar is so high for this show compared to anything else. Where it's like even its worst season is still incredible television, and it is kind of it is kind of interesting to see. You know, really, the show focuses on the two groups throughout, um, but it's it was good to get another set of characters introduced. To the so mix. not surprisingly, you are in agreement with your own website. Um, season two is ranked as the last episode or the last best season, um, but it's still rated at 8.49 overall. So pretty damn good. There's not much drop off. Yeah, there. that makes sense. Um, yeah. Are you going to men- Dan, are you going to mention one of the uh april ryan yeah where's she from oh a little tv show known as the office i'm pretty sure the office is just the wire 2.0 like in a lot of ways it's pretty similar um shows the everyday life anyways um yeah michael's ways? michael's <laughs> definitely stringing yeah i mean if you're gonna if you're gonna well he may be more of an avon barksdale sort of a puppet master but we can get into that later um yeah, I did not, like I think I mentioned this before, I was not a huge fan of season two initially. Um, I thought there were so many her- hateable characters. I didn't like Prez Belusky, which is his dad is Valchek. I think, it was it this season where Prez punches him, though, at the end of the season? No, it's his father-in-law. Well, whatever. What did I say? Same difference, but his dad. I mean, he calls him dad, I'm sure. No, I'm just um, But... I couldn't, I just, I thought he was such a bitch character. And then by the end of the season, I think it's when he punches him in the face and you start to see him sort of differently. But I would sort of agree with the episode Ninja ratings. Though. I, I think this is probably the least strong. I'm not going to say the worst season because there's really no worst season, but it's the least strong season of The Wire. And I think part of that is because Avon's in jail. We're at, like, I miss those characters. Like, I really loved the first season. And to, to really not see too much of those characters. I mean, we get to see Stringer and, and we get to see, you know, some of that that's going on. But really, we don't. I mean, it's just sort of. Oh, you you should mention, um, I mean, you touched on it, but we should mention 
that uh, Stringer has um, D'Angelo killed in prison. Yeah, that was uh, that was a pretty insane moment too, because he's also banging his baby mama, D'Angelo's baby mama. So Stringer definitely takes a turn in the season, and he keeps getting wrapped up with these like money guys, and he keeps thinking he's like a legit businessman. That shit, like. He was delusional with that shit, going to community college and shit. Yeah, I think in the first season, Stringer is still a likable character for the most part, but starting in season two, he really becomes the the main villain of the show if if there really and is. And like one. he's just such a different leader than Avon. Like they actually had like, you know, meetings in the funeral home where standard attention, you know, it's it's his turn to talk and have you been given permission to talk? And he just turns it into this like business and it's like it, and Avon's point the whole time is it's not a business. This is the game. Like this is real life. This isn't. This isn't a business. Yeah, and um, the other thing too is you know Avon's in jail, and Stringer's going behind his back doing deals with you know Proposition Joe. So um, you know Stringer's fucking you know fucking with people left and right. Also, um, this. This uh, season introduces Brother Mazone. Brother Mazone. I don't know how you say it. Yeah. The, um... That dude was terrifying. Holy shit. No, but he was he was cool. Coming in with his bow tie, trying to handle shit. Um, oh, he was so badass. It's 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 like in Pulp Fiction. Oh, oh you're calling the wolf? You know? And uh, he's going after Omar, because Omar's fucking up shit for all these people, stealing everyone's money. And, um, that was such a badass scene, though, where Omar shoots him and he's just laying there, like, got about 15 minutes, let's talk. And then he takes him through the whole, oh my God. <laughs> so I'll ask you guys the same question again. Do you think characters like Brother Muzon exist in real life? Again, God, I hope so. Um, I don't know if, like, you know, I think he was probably amplified for the show a little bit. Um, but I, you know, there's probably definitely, hey, here's, you know, here's a hitter, right? Or here's like a hired gun and he, his job is just to go out and fucking assassinate people. Because why not? Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with you guys where he's super good character, super terrifying. But this is where the, one of the few missteps where I think the show starts to step away from reality just a little bit. But it makes for good TV, so that's that's all good too. Well, yeah, and they bring it back that like once once Omar does shoot him, then he gets the info that it was Stringer that actually put out the hit. Like there was confusion, they cleared it up, and he lets him you know survive, and then finds out that all right, he's got to go after Stringer now, which starts a whole new thing. So I I I actually really like that though. Um, I get what you're saying, it, but it does make for good TV. So. Yeah, so I I I didn't love this season as much as I did the first one, but I I I like this season. I like this season much better than than season five. So I won't I won't call this you know the worst season in my in my opinion. I, I th- yeah, like I said, I don't think it's a worst. I just think it's a not as good as the first four. <laughs> yeah, but like Steve said, it's really hard. Like you're not really saying, oh, these are you know these are shitty episodes they're just not as good you know um so let's let's talk about season three so this this season is focusing on 
the you know political aspect of Baltimore, right? So that's another layer of of the situation. You know, these are um, the uh, you know the people that are, are supposed to uh, work for the people and make the laws and make the city safe. And you know, there's a bunch of corruption there and things like that. Um, you know, this is introducing you know Councilman uh, Carcetti, right? Little finger from. Game of yeah, Thrones, tiny finger. and he's trying to, you know, he's trying to become a mayor, and he's actually trying to be a good guy and things like that. And you've got, um, what is, uh, what is the other? Was she? What is his name? Clay Davis. Clay Davis, right? And he's, um, was he a councilman? No, he's a senator. Or was Clay Davis? State senator. He was yeah, a senator. State senator. State senator, right? Yeah. So there's a bunch of like shitty ass, you know, corruption going on and things like that. Meanwhile, um, the uh, the police are trying something uh, new. Um, what is the captain's name? I don't know where it is, but essentially, um, they're trying to create a um, uh, a, a drug zone, right? Uh, they call this Hamsterdam. The guys in the street call this Hamsterdam. So they went to the boarded up uh, row houses in in, Balt- in in Baltimore and basically said, hey, you guys can deal. We don't want you to deal on these corners. You guys can go deal over here. Go deal in the Hamsterdam. And you had all these cops lined up watching junkies come in and people selling drugs and prostitutions and all that. And the rest of the streets were cleaned up. But, you know, you just kind of had all this, like, crime and, you know, shit isolated. Was that better or worse? Obviously, what's his face got in trouble for Colvin. it? But um, Colvin, Colvin, yeah, Colvin got in trouble for it, but it was actually working. So that's you know that's something else to kind of discuss. You know, taking taking a drastic risk to to kind of change a broken system, and you do see results. But you know, uh, the institutions don't want to break away from the norm, so you get in trouble for it. Yeah, I think a big part of the season two was uh, meeting Marlo Stanfield. We get introduced to him and how he doesn't really want to play along with Stringer, and he might be a problem. I think he, I think he's a great character too. I think, I think the actor was incredible playing that role. Um, I read that the guy that played Chris had originally, um, not interviewed, uh, auditioned, auditioned. Thank you, auditioned for the role of Marlo, and I just don't think that would have worked. I mean, the the guy they chose to play Marlo was, I think he was incredible. He's probably one of my favorite street characters. You know who I don't like from uh, Marlo's crew? Yeah, and I don't understand it. Snoop. She's a fucking badass. She's not. I hate Snoop. I fucking hate Snoop. And one of my favorite scenes is when Michael shoots her in the fucking head. Well, I mean, that's an amazing scene. Not because she dies, but it's an amazing scene. Uh I mean, I'm sure you know this already, but she is actually a gangster from Baltimore. So she is. it's not that's another one where I would be like, do you think people like this exist in real life? And the answer is apparently absolutely yes, because she went to jail again after the show. Uh, I don't know. The season three introduced the guy who oh, and I don't know his name. Um, I'm horrible. But the guy Cuddy. who uh, he was the. the yeah, Cuddy, right? The boxer is that is is he in? Season yeah, we three? see him get out yeah, of jail and then get out of the game essentially by the end. Okay, 
So Cuddy, right? Um, you know, you kind of I I mean I just like Cuddy too because he was like this literally this fucking badass dude that killed everybody. And he comes out and he's trying to reform himself. So that deacon, right? That like uh got him the job or whatnot, that is that is Avon. That is like that is who Avon's based off of. The the actor portraying that character. No. Who's, Avon is based off of is what you're trying no. to say. Yeah. Really? Yes. That's what that's what I that's what I I, I read. That's, yeah, that, that is correct. That, that is this correct. dude that this dude was like reformed or whatever and and he uh, Avon is way cooler than the real Avon. <laughs> well, that dude was probably like in his fifties. So damn, that's disappointing. He did, he was like five six. He was just a little. He looked like a preacher. He literally looked like damn. That's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. They really, they really tried to, you know, purposely get as many people that were as close to the, you know, real life situations as possible. Which is why they brought in all the Brits. Um, back to the Hamsterdam, though. Um, I thought that was fascinating because not only did it work, he got because of it once they found out man they dropped the hammer on him because he was under the impression the whole time colvin that he's like doesn't matter six months i'm gonna retire at a you know sergeant's you know with benefits blah 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 they knock him down so he doesn't get those benefits by the end of it and it but in reality he's got stacks of letters from people in the community like thank you for clearing this out um, one scene that really sticks out for me from this season is when he is clearing out the areas or making sure that everything's abandoned. He finds out that while all these people are dealing shit in these in these abandoned areas, that this old woman still lives there. She's still in the middle of all this, and he has to like find her a home. And you know, he's just he was a really caring guy, but he had some he had some crazy ideas. But he, I, I liked his and his relationship with like, oh man, who's the other? Who's the other cop that he's with the bald white dude all the time? Carver. Carver, thank you. Like, his relationship with Carver, I think he really helped him come along. Because that's one character that I think really developed a lot through the show, too. Because him and Herc were always together, and they were just shitheads that would just want to go out and fuck people up. And by the end of it, you saw you saw Carver become, like, a real police officer. Like, really doing good police work and, and connecting with people on the streets where... Herc continues to be a shithead, but somehow it works out for him. I mean, he ends up he ends up with a pretty good deal by the end. But I really like the development of Carver throughout the show, too. Yeah, one of the most memorable scenes. I mean, it's hard to say most memorable because there's so many. But a scene I'll never forget. I think it's season one where Herc and Carver are, are raiding a stash house. And they find money under the mattress. And they both just kind of nod at each other and stick wads of cash in their bulletproof vests. But then by the end, Carver's pretty much turned it around. Meanwhile, Herc, not so much. We also start to see in this season, where we didn't really see it in the first season with Stringer, um, that he's starting to like buy property. Freeman's sort of starting to follow the money. He's starting to see what he's doing. And you can see that he's starting to try to become legitimate. And there's really nothing that, that Stringer or anybody, or not Stringer, Freeman or anyone can do about it because he's doing it legally. I thought that was a pretty interesting part of the season. And what was great is that Mazone comes back, teams up with Omar, 
And, you know, they are like, oh, this dude's trying to fuck us. They track him down and they shoot, uh, shoot Stringer dead. What'd you guys think of Stringer's death? Too soon in the series? Yeah, I, I was gonna, I was gonna say, I can't believe that happened in season three, but you're right. It did happen in season three. Like he's such an impactful character that you don't realize that he, he dies so soon. Wait, so at the end of season three, but, but Avon doesn't get killed, right? Because he get, he ends up getting picked up, like while they're arming up to go fuck somebody up, and he gets arrested, right? Yeah, yeah. Avon fucks up, and he has guns and stuff with him, and they come and arrest him, and grenades. That was more satisfying than Stringer dying. I I would have loved to have seen more Stringer. Like, I don't know. I loved his character, but that's one of the things about the show. They don't give a fuck. It's not. They didn't go for shock value. That was just how it ended for Stringer. And that, that sucked, but it was what it was. He he fucked with the wrong guy. You don't fuck with Brother Mon's own. Or um or Omar. Omar. Were you guys sad real quick when D'Angelo was killed? I mean, yeah, I was you know, I was sad, but oh well. Yeah, he go. Um I, I was you know, I was sad. I was sad that Stringer died, but I also thought that the revenge aspect that Omar had was better because I like Omar's character better. Um, Would you have rather had Stringer for the rest of the show or Omar? Omar, for sure. All day. Steve? Yeah, I mean, to to quote Omar, I believe he's got to get got, you know. So I'm kind of glad that he died in a satisfying way. Uh, without stretching him out throughout the entire show unnecessarily. Like, it's like, okay, he's got to die. Like, he's done enough bad shit now. True, true, true. So season four gets a lot more political, right? Uh, Well, season four is, yes. Uh, they still, um, you know, have the uh, mayor's race going on. But this is kind of kind of taking a look um at this at the school system so prez uh isn't a cop anymore um because you know third strike of you know messing up and eventually punching his um uh father-in-law in the face so now he becomes a math teacher and um he becomes uh, an eighth grade math teacher at this kind of inner city school and you still have um Marlo's gang, they're still fucking up shit. And, um, well, we get introduced to the kids too, right? This is when we meet Dookie and Randy and Michael Naymond. Yeah, yeah. So I think this is really good because this is kind of showing the before of, um, you know, what happens to these guys, right? These are kids being kids. They're in eighth grade. What do they want to do? They just want to buy some flaming hot Cheetos and they want to, like, ride their bikes and hang out with their kid, yeah, you know, other kids and things like that. And, um, is, uh, what is, uh, Weibo's name it, right? So, you know, name it, he just wants to hang out and he's kind of forced to go and, you know, be on the streets and things like that and, you know, provide money, you know, for his mom. And then you have Michael who kind of is this sweet boy and, he just wants to take care of his brother and he's got, you know, a, a druggy mom and a shithead. I don't even know if that was stepdad or his mom's boyfriend or whatever. 
you know. He's a he's a fucking asshole. Um, Molested him. You know, Dookie's just trying to... Oh, I didn't know that. Um, That's why they killed him. Uh, Dookie's just trying to, um, you know, hang out too, and he's poor and... And, and and shitty and Randy's just trying to sell some fucking shit on, on at school and make some cash. And you know, Michael tries he's really good at boxing, he just wants to box and you just see all of all four of these kids try to go do something, right? Like they just try to be kids and they try to learn and try whatever, but like the game just sucks them in and it's just like like who's to blame, right? Is it the school to blame? I mean, these kids want to learn, right? Like, there's. I remember the scene with Prez trying to teach them odds and stuff like that. Like, they're playing cards or dice or something like that. And he couldn't get through to these kids for shit, right? He's trying to teach them, like, all day. And then finally, when he's trying to bring out these math concepts to something they know, like dice, then they're willing to learn, you know? And it's just, it's just a really... Like, when you look at it at this angle, right? Like, you're like, oh, well, you know, they grew up become and became, you know, drug uh, drug dealers or murderers, you know, just because they, they're shitheads. But, like, fucking society is kind of fucking them over. They're in a shitty school system. And Col- Colvin's kind of coming in to do his, I don't know what that project was called, where he was taking those bad kids aside and trying to do a different method of teaching. But that got shut down. So, like, any sort of change that anyone tried to propose throughout this whole series kind of got rejected, uh, you know, by by whatever institution. And it's just it's just a sad cycle. Yeah, I think Randy is the most tragic figure from this this whole season. I mean, he's he's with his uh, uh, what appears to be uh, uh, foster mom. And, you know, he ends up getting in a position where he gives some information to the police. Um, Marlo is actually the one responsible for putting the information out there because um, he wanted, you know, him to know what it's like to be a rat. And someone throws a Molotov cocktail in his house and ends up hurting his his foster mom very badly. And he ends up getting thrown into the system, um, goes to a group home, and then we see him, I think, at the end of this towards the end of season five he's you know in, in in the first or in this season he's this scrawny little kid who can't do anything can barely fight for himself gets his ass kicked you know anytime someone confronts him um but by the end we see him he's you know living in a group home he's much bigger got an attitude will not talk to the police at all and he's just a completely different person he's you know sucked in like you said i think he's the perfect example you guys of that. know do you guys know who randy's dad is in the show or yeah, in the show. No, I don't think I do. It's uh, Cheese. What? Cheese Wagstaff is his dad. How do we know that? It w- They have the same last name, and it was widely speculated during the show that it was his dad, and then David Simon confirmed after the show was over that it's his dad. Uh, wow, I had no idea. That's crazy. That's fucked up, man. I like Cheese, too. That's I don't like him anymore. Bad dad. Yeah, that's Method Man's character for those that don't remember. This was actually the first. This is actually the number one ranked season on episode according to Episode Ninja. It comes at a nine point oh nine. Yeah, I I can get on board with that. Like, there's like you guys have already discussed the the stuff with the schools is incredible. Um, just seeing the the path that these kids take. 
and you've also got the action going on with Marlo's gang going on at the same time. So yeah, they touch on everything. And is this the season with um, uh, Snoop and Chris putting the bodies in the row houses with the nail gun? Now I do hate Snoop, but the one scene I do like her in uh, is her trying to buy a nail gun at the hardware store. And, and, uh, you know, the, the guy there's like, oh, you want this because it's got blah, 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 powder and blah, blah. Oh, you mean like a gunpowder? Oh, okay. This is pretty good. But you're going to have to bring it up front. Uh, no, it's cool. Just keep it. Uh, this is way too much money. Ah, it's all good. Don't worry about it. Yeah, this is the season with that. Cause Freeman, I, that's one of my favorite scenes is when Freeman finally like discovers it. He's like looking at the nails and he's such a good detective that he recognizes that the nails are different so he goes around and and then nobody wants you know that we go back to the the police system nobody wants to open those buildings up because like why are we going to add more bodies to our count like why would we do that because that's what the police station is all about is numbers and they end up opening them up or no i think freeman goes and gets hammered with bunk one night and they end up going out and he's like he points to one he's like i guarantee you find a body in there open it up sure enough they do um but that was actually i remember in in this season two proposition joe actually has a problem with the way snoop and and chris do it because he's like we're not making an, an impact here we're just disappearing people like nobody knows that we're doing it so what's the point <laughs> like so they end up having to go shoot someone in the face you know someone from new york on the corner because you got to make sure people know at least yeah i remember uh i don't remember what's the fat detective's name Oh, uh, the the like sergeant, the one who always looks at porn. It's Landsman. Yeah, that was like, and it's just always eating like Arby's and Whoppers and shit in his office. Um, he was like so pissed off when they found all these bodies because he's like sitting there at the whiteboard, having to like, oh fuck, now we got like ten more bodies, and because it it's just it's sad, right? Like these are like young kids that got murdered. And like his lazy ass, like just doesn't even want to deal with it. Like yeah, they just like up. how fucked up is that system? Um, this is also the season where we see Bubbles at his lowest. Um, he's getting followed around by some guy who, because he's got like this roaming, you know, service where he goes Bubbles Bubbles Depot, where he goes around and you know sells white tees and 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 pirated shit. And this guy keeps, you know, coming up to him and kicking his ass. So by the end of the season, he decides he's going to give him a hot shot. Um, has it all lined up to, to try to kill the guy, essentially. And it ends up his little mentor takes it in a charade and uh, obviously dies from it. And Bubbles goes in to turn himself in. It's Landsman, actually, that, that you know, is the one that did interviewing him. He pukes all over him because he's coming off heroin. And uh, when he goes to clean himself up, that's when Bubbles hangs himself. That was that was a pretty impactful scene because I remember being like, "Oh my god, they really fucking killed Bubbles! Like, what the fuck?" But then it turns out, obviously, he's you know he was okay. They were able to revive him, but that was sort of the the I think the, obviously the lowest point for Bubbles and a pretty powerful, pretty powerful little arc for him there. Is this the season he goes to um, AA, or is that next season? Uh, he did go to AA and he like lied about his sobriety during this season. Like he basically went up and took a chip, you know, just because, and he met that one guy with the long hair. I think that's worth. So, so that, so that guy's, a, that guy was a recovering addict too. 
So they got like someone who had the experience of being in AA and yeah, he was a fantastic actor too. That guy was great. Um, but yeah, I thought that was that was pretty pretty incredible little you know moment there for and you know we start to see him hopefully turn it around you know he goes obviously into a pretty deep hole but yeah and then and then let's you know kind of finish this off with season five right so real quick though um we also see Naaman get adopted by the end of this essentially by Colvin which is a pretty pretty great scene when Colvin has to go speak with Weebay and essentially be like I need you to sign over your son to me and then, you know, he has to obviously tell his wife, who's a very involved person, that she has to give up her son. But it winds up being a really great choice. So we see these different paths these kids take. You know, when Michael obviously goes into the gangbanging life, um, uh, what's his name? Dookie ends up sort of being his caregiver. You know, he drops out of high school, which he was on a right path from Prez. Um, we see what happens to... Um, to Randy, you know, it, it was just pretty interesting. All four of them literally went different directions, but they kind of ended up in the same place besides uh, Naaman. Yeah, so uh, fifth season is final season, and this season focuses on uh, kind of the uh, perspective of uh, the journalist, the press, and um, Baltimore. So this is really like, you know, David Simon's kind of wheelhouse um and uh you've got a lot going on this season uh i know that they're still struggling struggling to kind of get money and things like that i know uh carcetti's now the mayor and he cuts the police budget um and mcnulty he's back on homicide but he's trying to get resources and one of the things that he's trying to do to stir up uh, controversy uh, to get some resources is he kind of like fakes this serial killer and he finds some dead bodies that you know they died from Odin or whatever and uh, sort of creates this fake serial killer and I don't what was the what was the um, what was kind of like the serial killers like calling card red ribbon around the wrist okay okay and like bite marks something like that yeah I mean how fucked up is that you know, that this cop who wants to do good police work has to make a fake, you know, uh, serial killer just to get some attention. And I think, and I don't know if this is true because, you know, uh, this wasn't coming from David Simon, but supposedly that this, this, the wire almost got canceled, uh, a few times and season five, um, almost didn't happen and they had to really fight to get it on. And I think one of the reasons why, um, it wasn't getting that much love because it didn't have that like shock value and McNulty trying to create shock value was kind of like a poke at HBO for trying to, um, you know, take away the show because it didn't have enough shock value. And interestingly enough, Ed Burns, who was one of the you know head writers with David Simon, he actually left in season five. So this is the one season that he wasn't a writer on, and it definitely shows. Like like this might have been a high ranking season, I don't know, but an episode ninja. But I I think this is kind of the, the the weakest season. I mean, it's nice that everything wraps up nicely, and it's a nice conclusion to the show. But it's my least favorite season. Um, it's the number four. 
ranked season according to episode ninja um i i kind of disagree i actually really liked this season because i'm not sure if you know this but i was a, a journalist um wrote for my college newspaper um so a lot of it was very relatable to me um mostly because i did sometimes make up quotes because it was easier than actually asking the person um like scott templeton which was a very hateable character guy was a mega douche um but i really liked the gus guy the the editor who was sort of on his tail and trying to go after him um so i really liked watching their dynamic through the whole season and then i just wanted to jump through the tv at the, at the scott guy he was just uh, knowing how he was making shit up and then knowing that mcnulty knew for sure that he was making stuff up because he's getting phone calls from a serial killer that never happened. He, you know, he's all these experiences are happening to him and McNulty sitting there like, uh, no, but he can't say that because obviously he made up the serial killer. So it's really helping him get it more attention, which is getting them more hours. Um, cause the season starts too with, with Carcetti going around being like raises are coming, you know, Overtime, we're not going to focus on numbers anymore. He basically comes in. He's like, we're not going to play the games anymore. We're not going to juke the stats. We're not going to do anything like that. But then, you know, there's this massive budget issue. Has to go back on all that and watching him have to deal with that. And then, obviously, this fake serial killer comes around. It was I thought it was a pretty interesting season. Not necessarily the most realistic, for sure. But interesting, nonetheless. Yeah, I think that they did a good job of you know, kind of wrapping up, uh, uh, you know, concluding a lot with these characters. You know, this is, is this the season where um, Snoop gets shot? Yeah, I think so. Right? Yeah, so, because I think Snoop and Chris took um, what's-his-face under their wing, right? What was his name? David? Michael. Michael. You know, they take Michael under under the wing, trying to, you know, Train would be a soldier, and he's the one that winds up killing her. Um, and then you've got uh, uh, Marlo, who you know has an opportunity to to get out of the game and turn straight, and he can't stand it. He's at that party with the fucking lawyer, and uh, just can't stand being a, in a suit with all those phony asses, and you know goes back out on the street. You know, and then Michael just winds up becoming the next Omar. Um, and, uh, you know, at the end of all this, you just got McNulty staring at the cityscape of Baltimore, just kind of giving that, like, man, like, what, like, what is this? Like, nothing, nothing really changed. It's the same fucking shit. Um, just kind of really frustrating. Because did he, because he wasn't on the force at the very end, right? Like, they... Let him go or something? No, he was just busted down to a beat cop. He was just walking a beat. Yeah, I mean, I agree with the, the you know the wrapping up aspect. Um, I thought Bubbles definitely had the best ending. What did you guys think of Omar's ending? We kind of alluded to it earlier, but... Everyone in the brothers after Omar, right? You know, it's just a matter of time before Omar gets killed. And, like, you know, speaking... Like, you know, I know that we're just kind of talking high level. And this is probably why, like, we need to almost do a part two of this. Because there's so many good individual scenes that, like, we just don't have time to go into, right? Um, but, you know, the one scene where Omar jumps out of, like, a three-story fucking building when people are coming after him and he survives. Like, it's amazing. And he's this badass thug, right? And he winds up fucking getting taken out by a freaking six-year-old, 
Like, walks into a convenience store and just pops him in the fucking head. That is fucking crazy. He was just buying cereal. Honey Nut Cheerios. Like, he just wanted some morning. So he just, they didn't have the, the Honey Nut. Yeah, they didn't have the Honey Nut. They just had regular, and he was pissed. Like, that's the last thing Omar did was buy Cheerios. It sucks. If if you if you buy regular Cheerios instead of Honey Nut Cheerios, well, he didn't want to. Friend. But what are you gonna, is he just going to go no Cheerios? Well, no. no, it's not his fault. I'm, but but I'm saying if you go to the store and you're fine with buying Cheerios over Honey Nut Cheerios, you're not my friend. Yeah, and I I think in this show, like a cheap move that a lot of shows use. Let's just say The Walking Dead uh, is killing off characters to for the shock value without any real impact to it. And I feel like a show like this is like, that's the most believable aspect. Like how can you really go this long robbing people, robbing very dangerous people. And, you know, realistically someone like that would have died in season one or two. So it, it's nice to, to have, have more depth to people being killed off in shows for once. Yeah. They didn't like, I mean, they had uh, What's-Her-Face get shot in season one, but it wasn't like, oh, they did some sort of crazy, you know, police uh, gangster, like, shoot-off, and, you know, one of the cops actually, you know, dies, like, because that would have been, like, kind of unrealistic, you know? Um, so I just think, yeah, I just think they just did a really, really good job of just staying consistent throughout this entire season, or just series in general. The game goes on. You know, I think we're going to definitely need to do a part two. Because if I start talking about quotes and scenes and things like that. Yeah, let's just give a rating. All right. So like I alluded earlier, this is, you know, one of my favorite shows of all time. Easily hands down. We love this show. And I'm not even really going to, get you know, make a comment on, you know, the episode Ninja ratings because it is what it is. I don't really care how the rankings are. You can go to episode.ninja and check them out. I don't Fuck care. that website. I love this show. <laughs> it's hurting my feelings. It's, it's a great website. You should, you should definitely check it out. But I don't care about it. I am giving this show a 9.7. All right. I hate to be that guy, but that is exactly what I was going to say. Uh, Number-wise. Yeah, this is... As I said before, one of the greatest shows of all time. So I guess to answer the question of the title of this episode, do I think this is the greatest show of all time? No. But it's almost perfect. So you're telling me you have at least one more show. You don't need to tell me right now what it is, but you're telling me you have at least one show that's a 9.7 or higher. Correct. I am going to give this a 9.75. Oh. And I am going to say that this is the best show of all time. This is the best drama, whatever you want to categorize it as, it wins in my book. I'm not I'm not going to argue with that. I'm not going to argue with it at all, you know, cuz you know, as a show that is so iconic rewatchable like you could it's iconic you could rewatch this show the there's the depth of the characters right the depth like even just going through and talking about the seasons like it's just like oh i forgot about that character oh i forgot about that character oh i forgot about that scene right 
like, you know, we're going to probably have to do another episode and we're just going to devote that episode to talk more about the characters because we didn't get to talk about them enough and talk more about the individual scenes because there's so many great scenes just just with the acting, the camera work. Um, it, this is just a real fucking masterpiece. And we didn't even get to talk about the intro songs. I mean, that's a whole other aspect of the show. We didn't get to talk about the intro songs. We didn't get to talk about the way they use music in the show, which is very unique. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, on yep. the next episode Ninja Podcast on The Wire. <laughs> next episode Ninja Podcast. Okay, guys. So tell, tell us what you think. You know, you know, leave, leave some comments uh, on, on the podcast reviews. Hit, up, hit us up on Instagram, Twitter, all that good stuff. And stay tuned for episode two sometime in the future. TBD. See ya.